0: semester on Tuesday nights, what we're going to be doing together is we're going to be doing a series on relationships. Um, Why are we doing a series on relationships? Well, as I sit across from you um, at meals or I walk with you or on the campus, um, what I hear from you um, is about your relationships. I hear about the majesty of your relationships, the friendships you have that fill you up, the times when you've been surrounded by people who love you and give you great joy. And I also hear about the mess of your relationships. The, the um, wreckage of love lost and the shame and the guilt and the pain, the loneliness. Um, but I hear about your relationships. So what I want us to do together this semester is we're going to um, take the semester to open the Bible together and to see what it might have to say to us about the ways that we relate to one another. Um, and so we're actually not going to do that tonight. Tonight, my task is to convince you to come back. Tomorrow or not tomorrow, next week. So, um, and tonight we're just going I'm just gonna briefly. Um, I want to answer two questions for you. I want to answer, what is Ruf and who is Ruf for? So, most simply, Ruf is a place that we open the Bible together and we look to see if there's anything in it for us. That we bring our real selves to meet the real Jesus as he's found in um in the bible so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to do this by looking at mark chapter 5 this is printed on your fluorescent bulletin if you want to follow along there um or if you've got a bible on your phone or brought your bible with you and you want to open up to it you can do that we're going to read mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. This is the word of God for us this evening, and he gives it to us in love. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces." No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we, um, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. And pray that you would help us, um, help us to see Jesus as we look at it and to see him for us and his goodness and his grace. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen. Um, so to start off, I want you to remember with me the first day that you moved into college. Now, for a lot of you, that's really easy because that was a couple days ago. Others, um, you can't believe that it was three years ago. For me, it was 15 years ago. And um, I remember, I still remember walking into my dorm, you know, with my mom carrying boxes and suitcases, looking around the lobby at the other guys. There's the guy who was playing the guitar in the elevator or the guy with the Pokemon sheets who's practicing his trumpet in his room, like move-in day, right? Um, or the guys who are already out fratting each other just two hours in to move in day. And so I'm thinking to myself, um, is he going to be my friend? Like, is this guy going to be my friend? Um, or him, do I want him to be my friend? Right? Sizing people up, trying to figure out how other people were sizing me up. And deep down, I think um, it was just the desire to be accepted. right? The desire to be loved and to not be rejected. And so I'm sure this happened on your floors. You know, some clicks developed on the floor. We'd get dinner together, some of us had classes together, we visited fraternities together, just trying, just trying to make friends and not be rejected. And a little different than the people that you met on your move-in day, in Mark V, we're introduced to a naked man who lives in a graveyard. Um, right? He's covered in wounds and scars because he cuts himself, he spends his days and nights yelling and screaming. And people, presumably his friends or his family or maybe even the police, tried to chain him up, maybe to keep him from hurting himself or to keep him from hurting others, um, but they can't keep them chained. And my guess is that as weird as the people in your hall may be, this guy doesn't live on your floor. All right? We don't get a lot of people who grew up in graveyards at Wake Forest. But I bet that a lot of us live in fear of being sent to the tombs. In fear of being sent away to the graveyards. Right? We fear rejection. And in our mind, like the little rejection, we always blow it up and it's total rejection. We fear this total rejection. Right, for some of you it's um, the rejection would be not getting into the fraternity or sorority that you want to. Others, um, it's that you live in Piccolo or Palmer, sorry. Um, <laughs> others, it might be that you, um, you fear that you would have to transfer to the state school back home if you couldn't, 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 couldn't cut it academically. Or maybe even worse, you'd have to transfer because you couldn't cut it socially. Um, Maybe the tombs are eating alone at the pit. So we do everything that we can to try to avoid being like this man, right? Trying to avoid being alone in the tombs. um, And this man terrifies his town. He terrifies us. And I'd say the primary way that we avoid being exiled to the tombs is by wearing armor and by wearing masks. So armor. Um, Armor protects us, right? And I'd say over the past five to ten years you have been fashioning armor for yourselves to pre- protect yourselves. Um, I remember hearing about a former Wake student who was involved in RUF, and someone asked her why she picked Wake Forest, and she said that um, she saw pictures. She didn't even visit the campus, but she saw pictures, and everyone looked like they fell out of the, J. Crew, the J. Crew catalog. She said, I want to go to there. And um, I mean, think about the way that you and your friends get ready for class each day, right? You armor up. You think... Maybe this isn't consciously, maybe this is subconsciously, but you think if I, um, if I present myself in a particular way, I'm not going to be hurt. Your makeup, your shoes, your clothes, your carefully chosen accessories, maybe you only wear one particular brand or a set of brands. I mean, it's armor, right? It's your protection against all that's going to come at you. Now, why do we feel like we need to wear armor? I was having coffee with a student a few weeks ago, and she told me, Wake Forest devours weakness. Wake Forest devours weakness. If you are weak or you let your armor slip, you will get eaten alive. Right? This is as true in the classroom as it is in the frat basement. Both academically and socially, Wake Forest devours weakness. I speaking with Regina Lawson, who's the um, chief, police, chief of police here at Wake, and she said that Wake Forest is a small-town culture. And I asked her what she meant by this, and she said... Um, something like, it, it means that everyone knows what you've done, and you can't talk about what's been done to you. Everyone knows what you've done, and you can't talk about what's been done to you. This is why you feel like you need to wear armor. Right? You're in this fishbowl of a campus, and you need to protect yourselves, so you wear armor. And you also feel like you need to wear masks. If armor is to protect you, then masks help you pretend that everything is okay. Help you pretend that everything's okay. Um, today is the 12-year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, and uh, my senior year of college was 12 years ago. I went to Tulane in New Orleans, and so 12 years ago today, I was evacuated from New Orleans. And as you remember, um, the city flooded. The school, my school, was shut down. I went home to Virginia and spent the semester at UVA. Um, and I remember my house was underwater. Um, there's some some family drama my grandfather went missing for 2 months we found him but like it was just uh, it was very traumatic but i didn't let myself feel it i told myself to count my blessings and move forward so that fall at uva i got involved in a campus ministry and i started meeting with the campus minister and each week when we got together, he'd ask me, John, how are you doing? And each week I'd say, I'm good. How are you doing, Paul? And that was our conversation for weeks until one day um, I just fell apart. I couldn't hold it together anymore. And he, he asked me, John, how are you doing? And I said, I don't think I'm doing that well. And his response was, good. I want you lower. And I said, you can't say that to me. You're a pastor. Um, Laughter. Here's what he was doing. He was telling me to take off my mask, to stop pretending, to be honest with him and with myself and with God about how hard things actually were. And as I did that, as I confessed my sin and my sadness and my shame to him, he continued to meet me with God's grace and God's forgiveness. And my life was transformed. A friend of mine, a guy named Richie Sessions, who's the RUF campus minister at Vanderbilt, Um, He told me a story about his sister-in-law who used to be a Disney princess. Um, She worked at Disneyland uh, and she was Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And at Disney World, you can never get out of character. She's from Mississippi, but she had to speak without a southern accent and tell everyone that she was from a quiet village in France, just like Belle. So to even come out of character and and to be yourself is to commit an unpardonable Disney sin. They call, it, they call it breaking the magic. If you break the magic, you get fired swiftly. She had to be from France. She was not allowed to be from Mississippi. They even have people who go and try to get the characters to break the magic, just to test to make sure they're doing it. And there's a rumor that you can't even die in the Disney parks. Like, if you die while you're doing your job, they actually take your, your body outside of the park and pronounce you dead outside <coughs> the park. Um, so it's not, I know, it's crazy, right? <laughs> Walt Disney. All right. Um. And here's the reason. The reason is, is to not break the magic with something as so crass as death. And friends, this is Wake Forest, right? You cannot break the magic. This is a place that tells you that you need armor and a mask or you will get eaten alive. And so you're terrified of breaking the magic, terrified of taking off that armor or peering behind the mask. Because as, as some of you know from experience and some of you have seen from afar, um, Wake Forest is a place that devours weakness. So what would happen if you walked through campus as your real self? No armor, no mask. And that brings us back to the man at the tombs. Because he had no armor. He had no mask. And for our last few minutes together, um, I want us to look at Jesus and see how he responds to this man. Now imagine with me that you are one of Jesus' disciples and that you're following him as he's healing people and he's forgiving sin and he's teaching with authority. And so far you've been on foot and you're traveling around these small towns along the Sea of Galilee. And then while on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, you start to hear the screams. Faint in the distance, you hear these horrible screams. You shudder and you say, I don't want to go over there. You hear the voice of this man who's been tormented by demons. And Jesus says to you, let's go across the sea. Let's go towards the screams. I mean, look at Jesus in this passage. He moves towards the brokenness, towards the sin, towards the pain, towards the torment, towards the weakness, towards the hurt. So why do we wear the armor? Why do we wear the mask? Because we're terrified of being human. We're terrified that we'll become like this man. Cutting ourselves and crying out. Or because maybe we're afraid that we're already there. We wear the armor and the mask because we're much more like this man than we care to admit. We're tormented by demons. You cower in shame because of what you did this weekend or because of what was done to you. Or you're wracked with guilt because you looked at porn again and you feel hopeless to stop. Or you're trying to control your life through what you put in your body. And how you look in the mirror is controlling you. I mean, think about the way that we talk to ourselves. I mean, um, I rarely cuss. You'll hear me let loose occasionally. But for the most part, my language is, um, around others is pretty tame. But if you could hear the way that I talk to myself, the names that I call myself, the ways that I tear myself down, in the echo chamber of my own mind, I am tormented by demons that are looking to devour me, that are looking to dehumanize me. But look at Jesus He runs straight towards you to take your torment and your sin and your shame onto himself and to heal you. Jesus alone has the power to break the magic of Wake Forest. He alone can heal you and heal me of the torment that is beneath our armor and our masks. As a side note, um, this is why we're doing upperclassmen small groups the way we're doing them this fall. Because my hope is that through these connect groups that you can... Break the magic together and begin to know the healing love of Jesus that frees you to be fully human. And here's the thing. The goal isn't to take off your masks and your armor and to be left naked. Look at verse 15 with me if you look down at your bulletins. Look at verse 15. The goal is not to be left naked. But the goal is, and the goal is not to be clothed in some armor that you hobbled together on your own. But to wear clothes that Jesus alone can give. And these true clothes, the ones that leave you in your right mind, healed, forgiven, and restored, these clothes are clothes alone, that, alone, that Jesus alone can give, and these are clothes that require substitution. I mean, look at how Jesus heals the man. In verse 13, we see that the demons, they have to go somewhere. And so Jesus, he sends the unclean spirits into the unclean animals, into these pigs, and then these self-destructive demons run the herd of pigs into the sea, drowning them. And this is how Jesus heals and humanizes all who come to him. On the cross, Jesus took your demons, the unclean spirits that torment you, and he took them into himself. Jesus became sin. He took the torment of hell onto himself so that in him you might have life. And in the place of your sin, he gives you his righteousness, the clean clothes that you long for that he earned with his perfect life. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he who knew no sin became sin for you so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Through faith in Christ, there is healing and forgiveness. And there's righteousness, real clothing, real armor, not those shabby rags that we try to cover ourselves with. So to close, um, I just want to ask you where you find yourself in this story tonight. First, are you this man amongst the tombs? Um, And if that's where you find yourself, I want you to know that there is healing for you in Christ. Maybe um, you feel like you're you're part of the pig herders. These folks who are he- who are there because they saw God at work in the lives of this man. Maybe you're here because you've seen God at work in the lives of your friends and you're curious. If this is you, um, we're glad that you're here. Keep coming back. Maybe you're like the people who have seen Jesus work and you're terrified, and you want nothing to do with Jesus. Well, we're glad that you're here too. And I hope um, that you take the time to investigate what it is about Jesus that disturbs you. What it is about his power and his love that unsettles you. Or maybe, just maybe, you're like the man at the end of the story who's been healed. Maybe Jesus has healed you and like the man, um, he's clothed you and he's restored your mind. And he sent you here to your friends to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. We're glad that you're here too. My hope is that RUF is a community where all of these people are present. And that together, just like the people in the story, the people of the Decapolis, we can marvel together at the work of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story that you give us. And we thank you for um, the life that is available in Jesus for us. Um, thank you um, that you're good to us in him. We pray in his name. Amen. If y'all want to stand up, we're going to sing one more song.